All right, good to see everybody tonight. If you have uh, your song sheet, take it and look at with me, Poor Sinner Dejected with Fear. As I was reading and singing, I, I haven't sung this song a whole lot, but I was really stopped dead in my tracks as I really thought about the words of, of verse 2. Come just as thou art, with thy woe, fall down at the feet of the Lamb, he will not, he cannot say no. And so, come just as you are. All your brokenness, all your junk, all your mess, all your sin, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. And when you come to him and you fall at his feet, he will not, he cannot say go. But surely we'll take out the stain. A fountain is open for sin, and thousands its virtues have proved. He'll take thee and plunge thee therein and wash thee from filth in his blood. That's the gospel. And I feel like saying, let's pray. <laughs> and, and heading out, because... I mean, does it get any better than what we just read? You know, that's what we want to be about. Who are we in RUF? You know, what I want, we're a hospital for broken, ruined sinners who have tried their hardest to be good enough and have blown it. Um, I long and dream and pray that this would be a place that you could come in the midst of whatever you're going through when you run out of this door and you run yourself ragged Monday uh, or Thursday all the way till next Wednesday, that you can come here and be at ease and you can hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and be pointed to Him as the one who cleanses us from all of our filth. And so I really hope that... Um, you feel welcome here, wherever, wherever you are, whatever you're struggling with. Uh, and that goes for whatever you're struggling with, uh, maybe unbelief, uh, maybe you're struggling with that and doubt. We want to be a ministry that gives you the space to struggle with this, those things. You're welcome here. Those questions you are free to ask. Uh, and we want to be a place where you can struggle uh, with those. We're going to continue tonight our study through the Gospel of Mark. Um, one of the things that we've learned, that I've learned this semester as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, is how differently Christianity is portrayed in Mark's Gospel than the Christianity that we often see out in the world and out in the media and even in some of our churches. Because what we see as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark is that Mark tells us that Christianity is not about strength, but it's about weakness. He's told us, and we've learned, that Christianity is not for winners, but it's actually for losers. We've learned that Christianity is not about having your act together, but it's actually for messed up, broken people. We've learned that it's not for the righteous, but it's for sinners. In his album, Illinois, 
Sufjan Stephen has a song on that album titled John Wayne Gracie Jr. And the song is actually about a serial killer who killed 33 people in the 1970s. And after killing his victims, this serial killer would put his victims underneath the floorboards of his house. And Stevens writes in the last verse of that song some words that are rather shocking if you've heard the song. But they're very biblical. Listen to what he says. And in my best behavior, I'm really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have to hide. What are the secrets that are underneath the floorboards of your life tonight? What are the things, your weaknesses, the things that keep you up at night? You see, the truth is, every single one of us in this room has things underneath the floorboards of our lives that we need to deal with. And you see, the passage before us tonight tells us that Christianity is all about recognizing and admitting the junk that's underneath our floorboards. I think you'll see what I mean further as we read our passage. Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through 31, and then we're going to skip down. You'll have the passage printed before you uh, on your handout. This is God's holy and inspired word. Verse 26, or I'm sorry, verse 27. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the, she and the sheep will scatter. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night... Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Continuing on in verse 66, that same chapter. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But he again denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And, he immediate, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And then listen to these words. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is God's word. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and apply once again. You've been so gracious to us this semester. 
because you have been here week after week after week. In Jesus, we ask that you would be here again. Would you come because we desperately need it. Come and convict and change. And often that is really hard. That comes through hard things that we realize about ourselves. But we ask you to do it because we want to be made more like you, Jesus. And so would you come and apply this word and pierce our hearts uh, with your scriptures tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this point in the Gospels, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, the heat is being turned up on Jesus. Uh, The religious leaders of his day are really seeking for a way that they can kill Jesus. And this passage shows us what happens when the heat gets turned up. It's like a heavy truck with the full weight of its load crossing over a bridge. And if you were to get under that bridge, when the truck is passing, uh, the pressure of the load and the weight would reveal underneath that bridge the cracks and the weak spots in the bridge. That's what's happening here. The pressure is being ratcheted up on the disciples, and that pressure is exposing the weaknesses. It's exposing the cracks and the soft spots of those that are closest to Jesus. This passage tonight, we're going to see three things. The first thing we're going to see is Jesus' uh, prediction. Look at verse 27. If you have your Bible, also look back up with me at verse 18. and Get a little bit more context there. The first thing I want you to see is Jesus knows our weaknesses. If you look at verse 18, it says that Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed. Look at verse 27. Jesus knows that the disciples are going to fall away. Jesus knows their weaknesses. Jesus knows their fears. He knows that they are going to be scattered, and he knows that Peter is going to deny him. And so we get this idea of uh, Jesus in God's omniscience, the fact that he, that means he's all-knowing, he knows everything. And I immediately thought of Psalm 139. You're probably familiar. It says that God created us and knitted us together uh, in our mother's womb. And it says that he knows our inmost being. And at one point in that psalm, the psalmist cries out, Search me and know me, O God. Friends, God knows you as if you were the only person created on this planet, as if you were the only one. That is how personally that God knows you. God knows your passions. God knows your dreams. God knows what keeps you awake at night. God knows your weaknesses. God knows where you are prone to fail and blow it and mess up. He knows your struggles. He knows your desires. He knows your heartache, your anxiety. He knows what you worry about. And he cares about those things deeply. Now think about that just for a minute. On the one hand, that's very comforting, isn't it? That's comforting because all of us want to be known all the way to the bottom and not have someone either hurt us or abandon us and run away. And so on the one hand, we all want to be known and 
God knows us deeply. But on the other hand, I don't know about you, but it's pretty frightening too, isn't it? I mean, it's deeply terrifying. For example, let's suppose tonight that you were to walk out of here and you were carrying a book or a paper or a document that had everything that you had done, said, or thought about in the last week. That you were carrying that with you, and let's say you're going back to your dorm across campus, and you walk across the grove, and when you walk across the grove, you come upon the front of the union, and you see some of your friends. You start talking to your friends, you're talking about this weekend, and the game, and uh, all the things going on on campus and going on this weekend. And then you finally say, I've got to go. I need to get to bed, study. You head out, you get back to your room, and you realize that you don't have the book. You've lost the document. And so you sprint as fast as you can back to the grove. And when you get to the grove in front of the union, you notice that your friends are all huddled around reading your book right down to the meticulous detail of everything you've thought, done, and said in the last week, what do you do? Here's what you do. You freeze. And you turn around and you run as fast as you can, don't you? Back to your room. And you pack up your car. (laughs) And you leave this campus. Never to show your face at Ole Miss again. You see, that's the painful truth, isn't it? That if you knew me all the way to the bottom, you wouldn't have a thing to do with me. And if I knew you all the way to the bottom, and where your heart had been all week, you know, I probably wouldn't have anything to do with you either. But what if God is different? What if God doesn't count all those things against us? What if God, who knows all this information about us, doesn't use it against us? Do you see how powerful that is? Do you see how that if we really believe that, that would change our life? You see, Tim Keller says that you don't mind people looking at you when you know that you look good. Think about it. Girls, when you wear that special dress that you've been waiting to wear. Guys, when you wear that new suit, new tie, freshly cleaned shirt. You don't mind the scrutiny when you know that you look good. Friends, Christianity spiritually says, spiritually speaking, that because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ tonight... By faith, you have received Christ's righteousness. And because of that, God thinks you look great. And because of that, you don't have to be afraid if God or anyone else looks inside. And because of God's righteousness, you have a new confidence in life. And because of God's righteousness, you can actually be honest about the things that are underneath the floorboards of your life. And you can bring them in to the light because of Jesus you have new confidence and a new certainty and a new security. 
that you've never had before. The first thing we say, see is Jesus' prediction. Secondly, Peter's response. Look at verses 27 through 31. Jesus confronts Peter. Very interesting dialogue here. Jesus says, you're going to fall away. All of you. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 no way. Jesus, you've got the wrong guy. Not me. I'm beyond this, Jesus. I love you. I will never fall away from you. And then Jesus gets very specific, doesn't he? And it's as if he's saying to Peter this. Peter, you're so filled with self-absorption and you don't even know it. Because before the rooster crows, you're going to be revealed for the selfish coward that you really are. You see the, the, the word or the, the number three there? It's very significant. The word three, the letter, uh, the letter, <laughs> the number three in the Hebrew mind stood for completion. It meant when something happened three times, it was complete. And what we see a few verses later is that Peter was complete, all right. He was a complete failure. You see, Jesus is confronting Peter's overconfidence and his pride. It reminded me, as I was studying for this sermon, the movie Anger Management. You might have seen the movie. Dr. Rydell, who's played by Jack Nicholson, is working with Dave, who's played by Adam Sandler, and helping him deal with his anger issues. And Dr. Rydell comes to Dave and says, you know, there are two kinds of anger, two kinds of angry people, uh, explosive and implosive. Explosive, that is the person, that's the anger where the person is at the checkout counter in the grocery store and they just totally snap and start screaming at the cashier because the cashier wouldn't take their coupons. He said, but then there's implosive. And that's when the cashier who receives that day after day and week after week and just stuffs it down and does nothing about it and puts on a nice happy face. This is the person that comes in one day and totally snaps, but instead they pull out a gun and shoot everyone in the store. And Dr. Rydell looks at Dave and says, you're the cashier. And you remember what Dave says, no, 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 I'm not the cashier, I'm the guy in the frozen food section that's calling 911, I swear. <laughs> you see, that's what Peter's doing. Peter's like, no, 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 Jesus, you got the wrong guy. I'll never fall away from you. You see, if we're honest, we're a lot like Peter, aren't we? In that we often pretend to be more put together than we really are. We tend to uh, have this pride about us that makes us refuse to admit any weakness or to show any weakness. And it causes us to say things like this. I will never do blank. Fill in the blank. You've all been there, haven't you? I will never do that. 
only to find ourselves falling into the very thing that we condemn others for doing. You see, we should all, if the gospel says anything, it says that we should have this healthy distrust for our own hearts. And healthy distrust of our own hearts because, remember back in Mark chapter 7, because Jesus says that the seeds of every sin reside in my heart and in your heart. Becky Pippert says this in her book, Hope Has Its Reasons. She says that Peter doesn't understand the basic way that Christianity is supposed to operate. And she says this quote, listen to this. It is where we Christians part company decisively with our modern culture. Our modern culture says ignore your self-doubts, feel only positive thoughts about yourself. But I say the opposite, pay attention to all those lurking doubts. Listen closely to all the nagging discontent. It is important to find yourself sure, but those who want to be the best must face the worst at first. It is only in giving up on ourselves that we can ever go beyond ourselves to find ourselves. You see, that's Christianity. Christianity is about coming to the end of ourselves so that we can finally give up hope in everything else, even our own goodness, and rest finally and totally in Jesus. So we see Jesus' prediction. We see Peter's response. And then finally we see Peter's realization. Look at verses 66 through 72. Peter finally gets it, doesn't he? He finally realizes how weak he is. You know, it's only been hours since he told Jesus, I will never deny you. And then we see those words coming true. Look at verse 72. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said, and he broke down and wept. That's the point of the story. You see, the point of the story is that Peter finally realized that he was weak. And he finally realized that he had stuff underneath the floorboards of his life that he needed to deal with. But you know the real beauty in the story? The real beauty of the story is found in the grace that is revealed in the Lord Jesus. There are two beautiful examples of this story found in other places. In Luke's account of this same story, it says that after the third denial, very interesting, you should read it sometime. After the third denial, it says that Jesus looked at Peter. They made eye contact. And then Peter went and wept bitterly. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I mean, think about that for just a second. You've sat there and you've told the Lord Jesus Christ, I will never deny you. And you deny him three times and then you make eye contact and he looks at you. And you just start weeping. You know, I want to suggest that that's not, Jesus' look was not a look of condemnation. It's a look of grace. You know how we know? Because in John chapter 21, Jesus is on the seashore. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? 
You know how many times he asked Peter that question? Three. And he's reminding Peter in that moment, in the midst of his failure, that he didn't love him any less. Can you imagine how good that must have felt and comforting that must have been for Peter? And how equally comforting that is for you and me. Anybody feel like a failure spiritually? I do. And this is good news because here's what it says. Is that Jesus loves failures. He loves people that have blown it. And you know what's interesting here is that this grace that Peter received actually changed him. You know, we talk a lot about that in RUF. We always say it's the gospel that's going to change you. It's by realizing how much Jesus loves you and has forgiven you that's going to change you. Not trying harder, doing better, working harder. Moralism. And we see that to be true here because grace did change Peter. Because think about Peter's life. He went on. And what happened? He became a pillar in the church. Read the New Testament. He wrote two books of the New Testament, two books of the Bible. And he was actually martyred. He didn't deny Jesus the last time. Because when asked if he believed in Jesus, he said yes and was actually martyred for faith in Jesus. And so when we see that story, though, here's our tendency. We see what happened in Peter's life, and our tendency is to think, wow, even a guy like Peter can be used by God. Even a guy like Peter can be used by God. And if that is what you're taking away from the story, you've totally missed it. You see, it's not even a guy like Peter can be used by God. The point of the story and the point of this passage is that only a guy like Peter can be used of God. You see, unless you and I go down similar paths as Peter in realizing how weak we really are, then we can have no part in the kingdom of God. You know, who understood this well as far as understanding his own heart is Hal Farnsworth. Hal Farnsworth was a campus minister with RUF at Vanderbilt University for several years, and now he's a pastor of a church in Athens, Georgia. Uh, Hal Farnsworth would talk to anyone uh, that walked by about Jesus. That's just kind of who he is. And he had uh, some construction workers that were working on his church. And, of course, he strikes up a relationship with this one particular construction worker. Construction worker was pretty rough around the edges. Actually had the word rape on one arm and the F word on the other arm. And Hal begins a conversation with him and eventually over time begins to share the gospel with him. And the guy says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you come at me with this Jesus stuff, you have no idea how bad I am. You have no idea of the things that I've done. And Hal looks at him without blinking an eye and says, I bet you I'm worse. And the guy says, there's no way you're worse. And Hal says, yes, I am. Because in about 30 minutes, I'm going across the street and I'm going to eat a cheeseburger and I'm not going to give a rip about the fact that you're dying and going to hell because you don't know Jesus. And the guy looked at him and said, that's pretty bad. And then Hal responded back 
You know, the sad part is, is you don't know the half of it. You see, if you're here tonight, I don't know where you are with Jesus, but if you're here and you're not a Christian, more than likely the image of Christianity that you've been given, probably that's maybe even been put off by many of us, including myself, is that Christianity is about having it all together. It's about being good enough and cleaning yourself up and then coming to Jesus. And if that's the view of Christianity that's been given to you, even by RUF, I want to say I'm sorry. Because that's not Christianity, friends. Christianity, and if we see anything in this passage, we see that Christianity is for people that have blown it. It says that Christians are failures and screw it up most of the time, and they repent, and they go to Jesus because they desperately need him every single moment of every single day. Do you feel like a failure tonight? Do you feel like you have these secrets underneath the floorboards of your life? You see, if this passage says anything, it says that Jesus loves failures. It says that Jesus loves people that are filled with doubts, that are filled with unbelief, that He loves people that feel messed up and that have tons of junk underneath their floorboards that they need to deal with. Does that describe you, any of those things? If it does, I want you to hear this tonight. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Jesus loves you. He really does. You see, in Jesus coming, He comes down and He lives a perfect life and He goes to the cross and on the cross... Jesus takes all of your shame and all of your guilt and all of your junk and all of your secrets. All those things that feel like a thousand pound weight when you get up in the morning that make you don't, not even want to get out of bed or face your friends. Jesus takes all of those things and he throws them as far as the east is from the west. He nails them to the cross. And not only that, here's what Jesus does. He gives you his perfect righteousness. Friends, that's the good news. That's why it's such good news. Is God does not count our sin against us. And that's, that's good news. But then he gives you his perfect record of righteousness. Just as if you'd never sinned. It's the way God sees you if you have faith in Jesus. Just as if you had done everything right. That's the good news of the gospel. Will you come to Jesus tonight? He invites all of us to come to him. And it could be that some of us need to repent of our overconfidence in ourselves like Peter did. Or it could mean that some of you feel broken and used and abused and you just feel too messed up for Jesus. You're not. He invites you to come and to be clean. Let's pray.
Father, where would we be without Jesus? Father, without Him, uh, none of us could stand. And so we thank You so much for loving us enough to come and take our place on the cross. The, the death that we deserve, deserved, You took for us. Father, I pray that that would be a reality for us tonight. Even as we prayed earlier, as we read that song, that we would come just as we are, that we would believe those words, and that we would get underneath the fountain of your blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know you and needs to experience that, that you would give them faith and eyes to see and a heart that would respond to you in faith. Pray you bring about repentance in my life and in many others uh, of us that oftentimes feel confident in our own righteousness and goodness and think uh, that we are stronger than we really are. Father, thank you for the good news. Thank you for Jesus. And may we sing uh, and rejoice in that uh, now. In Jesus' name, amen.